Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Noah. And this is a show called Talking Lion. Welcome to chat number 11. Uh, we actually haven't done one of these in a while. It, it has been a minute, hasn't it? Because, yeah, we've had t- the releases. And so uh, I really like doing those behind the scenes, but they're definitely not the same. You know, it's it's a whole different whole different energy, you know? This is free farm. Who, who just, knows? Wh- it's just two two guys in a room. Just two guys in a room. You've never heard that on a podcast. Never heard before. that on a podcast before. <laughs> oh uh, no. man! No, I uh, like you know we we got some stuff to to talk about. You know, we got we got things we've seen, things we've heard, things we're working on, interesting stuff. But uh, I definitely want to quickly plug before we start up that we have a Patreon. So if you guys want to ask us questions, feel free to check out our Patreon at patreon.com/talkinglion. That helps keep everything going and also lets you be a part of this show. Uh, you, you, every every little piece helps. And also anything that we don't need or use for the show, we give back because we don't need it. We don't want it. We want to help the world because the world sucks. The world needs help. The world needs help. And there's things that can be done. So, you know, I feel like we say it every, every show, but do what you can to make the world better because literally every piece counts at this point because if you're not part of the solution, you're very much a part of the problem, yeah. I think. Well- I think I think that's a good enough intro. Would you say that's an intro? That's an intro. Wait till you guys hear the outro. Oh man. Oh man. So, without further ado, this is Talking Lion. So before we dive into the the questions, you know, I just kind of wanted to catch up. Yeah. You know, uh, I Long feel time like, no see. Right. You've been in your room for the last 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, I, I was working on the other ch- uh, chat number 10, you know, right. it's it's exporting as we speak. Actually, I always have fun with those behind the scenes. As I said in the intro, I, they're, they're fun to kind of like piece the threads of like working on a song. Yeah. Because it makes you really think about how a song comes to exist. Speaking of songs, we had a, a drive today. Oh, yeah. And uh, I almost hit a Mercedes, and I wrote a song about that. It's four lines. I'm going to drop it in right now. I don't want to hit a Mercedes. Fine with hitting any other cheaper car. I don't want to hit a Mercedes, because the price of it is way too hard to pay. Did you like it? Oh, I, I loved it. Thank you, man. It's the, the writing is inspired. <laughs> it's really it, the part that really gets me is the uh, uh, a cheaper car. Yeah, that's, that's I, really the 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 detail that pushes it over the edge for I, me. I'm okay with like not that I want to hit any car, but if I'm gonna hit a car, it's, like, it's, it's got to be, be one, cheaper yeah, than a Mercedes. Pretty inexpensive. Yeah. yeah. You want you want to know a fun fact about Mercedeses? Yeah. So Mercedes are. Hella, Wait, is that the plural of Mercedes? I think it's Mercedes. Yeah, the Mercedes Benz is a really popular and really like common car in Zimbabwe. Oh. It was a car, kind of the car that everyone had. Like everyone, the Mercedes Benz was to Zimbabwe 10, 15 years ago as the Toyota Camry is to like any major American city now. Footnote, you grew up in Zimbabwe. Yes, for those, for those who don't know. My parents actually had this, this particular Mercedes that was our car for a really long time that used to belong to the ambassador or like some kind of foreign Whoa. service member. So it had a tinted window, tinted bulletproof windows that I always thought was really cool. Just in case anybody shot it. Just in case any. Five-year-old Noah. Yeah. I mean, you know. There's, you, you never know. We had armed guards at our house. Like guns were a part of the part of the life. Whoa. People definitely got shot at. We were the only people that I knew. Like all of my friends had their homes broken into like with armed people, like armed robbers. We were just, I just 
Wow. We got lucky. A couple times people tried to break into the people tried to break in, but the alarms went off and the guard stopped them. And like that was just, just the kind of stuff you had to deal with. You know, I feel like I like knew this all tangentially, but it is something to hear it all placed out. Just I don't like, think a ton about it either because it's just how I grew up. My childhood was all guns and snakes. That's a Hamilton song, isn't it? Guns and snakes. <laughs> Divi Dix does that one, right? Yeah, right. Speaking of Hamilton okay. and heroes. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like American heroes. American heroes. Quote unquote. Where, where are you going? Because they're complicated. This? Yeah. Guitar hero. Guitar hero. That's quite the segue. I like we were it. thinking about Guitar Hero this week. Yeah. We are talking about it. And how interesting it is that for this one kind of moment in 2000s music history, there was a, a significant push on specific rock songs that had nothing to do, quote unquote, nothing to do with labels. Yeah. You know, if you think about how mainstream music is so controlled by radios and labels and how that whole machine works, all of a sudden you had a level of A&Ring being done by a video game company. Yeah, which is really weird to think about. I don't think we have anything analogous to that now, do we? It is just interesting to me how many people we know and how many songwriters have named their influences as bands that they found from Guitar Hero. Yeah. Like that's that's a really interesting thing to me. Yeah, and I think it, I think it's interesting. It's kind of a generational thing too that like for people our age, like, Guitar Hero was like at the zenith of its popularity, like right when we were like teenagers, basically. Right. It was like, it was you a had Guitar fun, Hero at bar, bar Mitzvahs. Yeah, you had yeah. Guitar Hero at parties. Like that was, you had like the viral videos of, of those kids just shredding through the fire and flames. It was like a cultural moment. And like all of those songs, like obviously a lot of the songs that will go into Guitar Hero were like already popular. Like a song like Sweet Child of Mine or something. Right. Like anything like that is like- But wasn't necessarily was, popular in 2000. Five or six. Yeah, exactly. There's, it, it brought this this particular aesthetic of like rock music to its own, and I, we, we, yeah, we, I mean, we talk about this. I feel like quite often just because of how formative. Like rock band is kind of one of the reasons I got into music. Like the video game rock band is is one of the reasons I got into music because I was at a video game camp because I really wanted to pursue a career in video games, and I played a, a bunch of rock band and like for some reason really connected with Carry On My Wayward Son and Down With The Sickness. Those were the two <laughs> songs in that, in that. Those are two very, I would love to hear that mashup though. Honestly, yeah. And like that was part of what pushed me down, like getting really into playing the video game rock band was part of what pushed me into like wanting to play music more seriously than just like a hobby. I think they're incredibly important video games. And like, they're also an interesting time capsule of like the curation that goes, that went into them. But yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It was like, you would have like Paramore alongside, you know, Guns N' Roses alongside AFI. Yeah. Which is just a crazy kind of combo. You get what I'm saying? Like yeah. so, like songs that you wouldn't necessarily be hearing on the radio at the time too. So it was just, yeah, definitely an interesting, definitely an interesting thing. Well, we have a question from our Patreon subscriber, Alan C. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much, Alan, for being a part of this show. And if you want to be a part of this show, fair listener... Just check out our Patreon. But his question, which I love keeping a secret from you. That's my favorite part. You get to see the, 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 I get shock, to see the on shock on my face. In your face. Right, right, yeah. right. But the question, I think it's a good one, is what was the most difficult conflict either one or both of you have had to dealt with in your careers? Ooh. Right? That is a good question. Now, I would posit that this is somewhat of an individual question because I feel yeah. like the conflicts you and I have had have always been somewhat more like personally based. I don't think we've ever had like, have we ever had a dispute about like a credit or like a like yeah, money like, or like no, I feel like we've you know we've broadly been able to stay on the same page about like career stuff. I think that's part of like what's kept us going. Although I think one comes to mind as far as you and I go, and then yeah. we can go individuals. Uh, CTFO. 
Oh yeah, yeah. that is interesting. There's, that a, there's a song you in, you wrote individually that like I really loved and wanted to like bring into the SL world. And I, yeah, I was hesitant to because it represented a space that I was trying to carve out for myself. I, I think maybe that maybe that's I don't know if that's like the most challenging thing, but maybe that's what I'll talk about. I think that like one of the things that I've probably struggled with the most is finding the lines in the compartments of like what is my own voice in a vacuum and how how does that filter into like what is Sleeping Lion and like what is the work that I do with Sleeping Lion for other people and what's the work that I do for myself for other people I think like the struggle it's kind of an ongoing struggle of like you know drawing boundaries because uh, it filters it's a very nebulous thing when it comes to creativity but I think that we've found I think we've both kind of found that you need to draw some kind of boundaries around your creativity uh, or else it all gets too overwhelming. I think especially when you're the kind of creative like we are who our creativity isn't just limited to one medium. We make like, you know, visual art and poetry and, you know, screenwriting and all that kind of stuff. I think it's important to like have designated outlets. And I think that I really struggled for a long time with like, what do I as Noah McGuire have to say versus what do I as Noah McGuire in Sleeping Lion have to say? Now I feel like I have a much better handle on all of it, but I think it took me years of like questioning and like banging my head against a wall and like, you know, staring at the blank piece of paper, like trying to find my voice as a writer and like, you know, learning how to be a better collaborator with you and uh, all kinds of stuff like that uh, to come out the other end of it. And I feel like because like that song was one of the first songs you sort of wrote outside of this like sleeping lion, I guess, experience or whatever. Right. You were sort of like, you kind of held it precious and held it sacred. And I was kind of like coming down on that. Whereas, you know, now you've got this project, this music for verb project, there's so many songs you've been able to write by yourself that we've actually been able to revisit that song and potentially think about pitching it or think about like doing anything kind of. Yeah. I've gotten to a place where like, it doesn't, well, where I I've de- I have my designated thing that I, that I get to be precious about, so that literally everything else I get to approach with a more sober head. Well, and and on the other side of that, I think my like kind of need to bring you in on everything or be a part of everything came from an insecurity. Mm. Like I think that I I've always felt that you're like a better musician. I do other stuff or whatever, but I always thought that you were a better musician. So I'm like, okay, well. On the one hand, I'm like, if he's going to do a solo project, it's going to be great. And he's not going to want to do music with me anymore or whatever. <laughs> like it came from definitely a very false insecurity. Yeah. But I think the other part of it too was that I wasn't recognizing how I take up as much space as I'm given. Yeah. And, and I, I give a lot of space. Yeah. And I, I wasn't realizing until until we actually had conversations and like worked through it that like I have a responsibility to myself if I want Sleeping Lion to be a duo project and not like you're producing me to make sure there's room to make sure that there's, and I think we've done a really great job of that. But yeah, also I realized that whereas maybe I'm insecure still about like music, I'm, I feel a lot more confident in the other things. Like I think I felt less insecure about like you doing music for birds as like the podcast became something that I really enjoyed. Or as I started doing more film work with people or even, you know, started working with Max on my own stuff or getting into poetry because I thought, Okay, if I don't do Sleeping Lion, then I'm then nobody's gonna give a fuck about anything that I do ever. Period. Right. And I suck. But it's like, oh no, there's other stuff that we both do that can can exist and coexist with like what we're up to. So that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think I think that's a meaningful one. That's a meaningful one. Mine, mine is like I there's that shitty manager that I won't name, but right. we know, and he made me work on Yom Kippur, and that pissed me off <laughs> so much. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, like I. 
almost everybody I've met in the music industry has just been absolutely lovely, but this guy was an absolute piece of shit. And I'm glad that all of his clients who were friends of ours are no longer with him because they recognize that he was ruining their reputation. But yeah, definitely not a fan of this guy. And that was probably one of the bigger conflicts I've had. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think our music industry experience hasn't been very conflict. No, it's been actually really lovely. I'd yeah. say, which which I'm super grateful for. Yeah, definitely. This this guy's the only person that we were like, we have lawyers. Like, don't do this. You know. Yeah. But yeah, thank you, thank you, Alan C, for your question. That was a good one. You yeah, really was, you really got us thinking. Yeah, you got that, us kind of in our feelings a little bit. Yeah, you that know, was I, that, that was a really good question. I see I see it on your I see it on your face. No, you know, the, the shock and awe. The shock and awe. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, it's always just nice to like grow up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I feel like you don't realize how much you've kind of grown like grown and changed until you can look back on the the conflicts that you've had. Yeah. And, and, and have them feel kind of small. Have them feel kind of small. That's like the one of the most amazing feelings, I think. Which leads me to a new segment Ooh. that I want to introduce before we get to the questions. Yes. Uh, I was going to do it at the end, but I feel like the segue is almost too good to let go. Okay. The new segment is called Can I ask you a personal question? I love that. And <laughs> Because we've been friends and roommates for five or six years, we, there's a there's a lot we know about each other. Yeah. But I feel like there, like anybody, there are just things that we don't know. And I wanted to like try to ask you a question and have you ask me a question that we just don't actually know the answer to. Okay. That like has never come up just sort of casually in conversation. So my question, and it ties into what we were talking about, okay. is do you remember something that happened as a kid that felt huge at the time. Ooh. Like mortifyingly terrible at the time. Or just embarrassing or whatever. But in retrospect it was like so small. Ooh. <laughs> this is just the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> I I had a in the in the fourth grade I had a crush on this girl. It was my first crush ever. She was in the fifth grade and she was dating this uh this guy who who's Mom was like a frenemy of my mother's. Like they sort of were like close, but like had like low key beef. And uh, I had just like the biggest, dumbest puppy dog crush on this girl, even despite knowing literally nothing about her. And I guess through general elementary school gossip, word got around that I had a huge crush on this girl. And I was at the her her fifth grade boyfriend's birthday party. And he pulls me aside and he's just like, listen, man, I know something that you don't want me to know. Whoa. And I'm like, whoa. He's he like, came for you. He came for me. And he, and he just, and then he, he said like, this is, it was very like kind of Italian mobster. Like, I know something you don't want me to know. He, he talked around it. He's like, but he's like, listen, man, at least you got good taste in ladies. And then he walked away. And that, for that, whatever that's an reason, extreme sentence specifically because you guys are twelve. Yeah, no, literally, <laughs> it was, we were. This is in fifth grade. But like, it, I feel it, like "ladies" is a strong word. I don't know if that's precisely the word to use, but that was one hundred percent the sentiment. Maybe I'm maybe I'm embellishing a little bit, but that was that has stayed with me because it shook me. There was something weirdly terrifying about it, <laughs> even though there were no consequences at the end of the day. You just wanted to like. He ruined your whole day. You ruined my whole the whole evening. And, and mind you, like, like the bar seems like it was pretty low considering you were at your crush's boyfriend's party. <laughs> right, exactly. Which, that's, that's a whole nother uh, yeah, no, thing it's, to it's, unpack. It's, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you a personal question? Yes. Okay. So it is well documented. I don't know actually how well documented it is that I have a, a, a terrible fear of fish that is 
less of fear of fish specifically and more of fear of being swallowed alive or some kind of thing. It's a very nebulous fear. I, I still have to unpack it properly in therapy. I just haven't, I've gotten, I've had other things. I've had your, your therapist therapy. is like, are you ready for fish? And you're like, no. It's yeah, like, cool, no, literally. Week, yeah. yeah, it's like literally, literally. That'll be $500. It'll be $500 to talk about fish. I, th- I, I, this is just one of the first things that came to mind when you, when you gave me this prompt. I'm, I know you had a fear of uh, transformation as a, as a, as a youngin. But do you currently now as a person have like a primal, like some people are scared of snakes, some people are scared of, do you have like a thing or like drowning or heights or do you have something that like just really gives you the willies? Like it's like totally primal, like just your brain just like freaks out when you see it or think about it. Uh, yeah, uh, def- definitely. There were like all these like sort of small things that's like, like, like kind of popped into my head. I- I'm a generally terrified person. Right. Like I, I think, People don't really know that about me, but like because I overthink everything, I see the worst case scenarios all the time, and that's I think why I'm at peace all the time. It's right. like it's like that's my secret cap. I'm always scared. Right. Like, but I'm I, talking less about anxiety and no. more like fear. Like like fear factor. Like you're like like spiders on your face. Like like so baseline I, human fear. And 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 you. I guess you sort of know this, but I don't think you necessarily know the extent. I can't look at mirrors for too long. Oh. That's like my big thing. Interesting. I, I I have like really distinct memories, and this would be this would this was kind of just a little embarrassing. I I couldn't take I, I couldn't risk in my own head taking showers in my house like back in New York when I was a kid if there wasn't somebody in the house. Mm. And the reason is because if I looked at a mirror for too long, I would start unraveling. I mm. would just start like oh my God, that's me and I am him and he is I and we are all together and I can die at any moment and when I die, I forget. But also like, I don't even know if I'm alive. Like I I completely existentially break down and I'm like, I'm in a video game and I'm also dead and I'm also like, I have such a hard time like, I, like I'm somebody on LSD looking at right, themselves yeah, in the mirror. I was about to say, that sounds like someone on LSD looking in a mirror. But like as a, as a sober, regular person. Right. And the thing is, is that I had a ton of mirrors in my bathroom in New York. So if I looked in the mirror while I was like, like going, like getting, you know, the temperature right on the shower, if I looked in the mirror for too long, I'd be in the shower for maybe 15 seconds before completely breaking down. And I would have to like grab a towel run out of the bathroom. And luckily nobody in my family like ever saw this. They just heard it. I'd be like, I would run out of my room and call my brother's name or call my mom's name or call my dad. And I'd be like, dad. And he'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, like crazy weather we're having. And he's like, right. yeah, I suppose you'd say it was raining out. That's what I would say. And like just having a normal conversation would, and just like would sort of reboot Acknowledging me that there's another person yeah, as well. Like rebooting, like rebooting the human experience. Right. Like, like it didn't, doesn't quell the, th- like, I think I have these thoughts pretty much all the time, but, but it just at least put me back into the sort of driver's seat of this is all I know. And I'm okay with that. Right. Right. As opposed to this is all I know. And there's so much that I don't know. Right. I'm going to unravel. So yeah, I mean, even thinking about this, like, isn't that? No, but, yeah. But, but that's why, like, every time we've moved somewhere, like, if there's a, a room that has a mirror in it, I've asked you to take it. Right. Like, our first place in uh, in, in L.A. Yeah, it had big, a big, big mirror wall. That you broke. That I did break. <laughs> I hate those things. Those, those sliding mirrors with the I, I that are attached at the top and the bottom. It's, if you break it and you try to fix it, it just makes them worse. I mean, ours ours in the hallway is also broken. But, yeah, I uh, I I've 
pretty specifically like don't fuck, they still give fuck you the with, willies they still give me the willies they they really freak me out and i feel a lot more safe in this house because i live with other people right but yeah i i still i still have like a pretty weird reaction except for when i drink for some reason when i'm when i'm drunk I can, I can look myself in the mirror and be like you fucking rock <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really interesting i'm like you you look pretty good my guy like <laughs> Anyway, that's a great, that's a great, do you like this segment? Do you like, I, I, like, I like it a lot. Cool. All right. I hope everybody likes this segment because I feel like the challenges weren't really doing it in this time. Yeah. Like I feel like there's too much going on, too much we're working on, too many factors to like challenge each other. I feel like we're already being challenged right. by the experience. Challenge is getting out of bed um, in the morning. But I feel like it, it, an opportunity to get to know each other better with stories that have no context. Like when would I talk about like a yeah. mirror? No, you it's, know? it's good podcast content. Yeah. Also, yeah, now people know you're like terrified of fish, which oh, is, yeah. I still think, a wild. It's, yeah, it's on my dating profiles. <laughs> That's so funny. Wait, how, how do you like present it? Uh, it was, uh, loves coffee, movies, no, it's, fish. it's not even like that. It's like, it's like, you know, on, on Hinge, there's like uh, prompts, and one of them is like a phobia. And I was like, That's a cute one because I could be like, I'm terrified of fish, but it's not really like fish. It's more like, it's, it, my, my answer is, is a kind of run on like that. That's like sort of, like tongue in cheek, oh, but that's that's something that people have. Now I'm, and I'm just talking about dating, yikes! But that's something that people have specifically commented on a lot. Like I get a lot of messages very specifically about the fish fear on dating. Apps. Well, I, I've noticed that like you're whenever you had to do the dating online dating thing, you've always <laughs> been pretty good at. It. I feel like I'm terrible at it because my profile is like I like movies, I like coffee. It's, har- like, it's hard. Like I don't think I have anything that anybody can sort of grab onto. I think. We should create a dating app specifically for uh, emotionally chaotic people and call it Unhinged. Ooh, I like that. That's great. That's funny. <laughs> I promise that was completely off the dome. No, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I say we dive into our questions. What, yeah. Is that, yeah, yeah, is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what's something new you're listening to? Oh, what is something new I'm listening to? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I got one, just a l- little snack of a song. There's the new uh, Anderson Pock song is fun. Oh, cool. Which it's also a protest song. It's very, it can't, it's called Lockdown. It's about COVID and it's about the sort of racial reckoning that's happening in the country. The lyrics are like really intricate and politically charged and like really like sharp and socially conscious. But it's Anderson Pock. So it's just, fu- it's a fun, funky record. And I think there's something so refreshing and like even, and we'll probably talk about this, like, you know, something that struck me about watching Five Bloods was like, how heavily they feature Marvin Gaye and thinking about an artist like that that's like got a song like what's going on that's just like on the one hand a beautiful piece of music on the other hand like really sharply attacking a very particular political moment and I'm like Anderson Pock is is in a similar vein of like what's happening now like an artist that's speaking like a hundred percent dead on target directly to social issues that are facing us but also musically is still just something you want. Like it still is like a party song. What's it? Was something old you're you're listening to? Oh yeah, well, this this is kind of this is an old one even within our timeline. But I listened to all of Goatye's, uh, I guess, final record. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, making mirrors. It's really cool. The art is actually a painting that his dad made. It's oh, this wow. like really like ge- cool like that, geometric that weird. Thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like a, a painting that his dad made. Uh, and the record is it's it's a really beautiful record to me. It's almost like this weird kind of spaceship of, of a record and, and a cultural product because it's got a number one billboard charting banger mega hit song on it and then a bunch of weirdo art tracks. Even something like like Pet Sounds is one of the only other things I can think of 
or maybe even like Channel Orange, like these weird weirdo art albums that have like one song that does super duper well. And then everything else is just kind of like off off the rails. Like you don't get that that often. And I think there's but something. Somebody I used to know is a weird song. Yeah, I think, even, it, even it was weird pop, for pop. Yeah. It's, it's not like, you know, mainstream pop by any stretch. It like broke the mold. But even within the universe of the album, Making Mirrors, it is the most down the middle pop. Like everything else on that song, it's got like Motown influences. Some of these songs are like six minutes long. Really weird use of like vocoders and speech boxes. Like, and yeah, his, 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 uh, a lot of these songs are like really upbeat and like super major key, like funk soul influence. And there's like brass parts and slide guitars. And, but there's also like these really like washed out, like experimental sections where it's just like psychedelic, like reverb throws. Like it's, it's an art record. It won the Grammy that year for best alternative album. It was one of those records that really like made my brain get really start to get into production. Like there's certain songs that just had really interesting drum patterns and electric pianos. And I think that there's something about that album that's like really formative to how my brain likes to put music together. So it, like like with anything like that, it was really cool to revisit it now that my brain is at the level of maturity that's currently at to sort of approach something like that with a different lens and be like, whoa, I hear this totally differently than I did when <laughs> I was 15 and and I'm taking new things from it. And I absolutely love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like somebody I used to know, I like listened to it and then called it. But and that's that's but, pretty much everyone's experience. Like no no one knows any anything else off of that record. But you and I think introduced that's me amazing. to the record, which I you know, and, and I don't necessarily love any of the songs on the record as much as I love somebody I used to know. But it's so interesting that he made this whole record, and then and, and then one song and then called it, pieced it, and, and then, then like left. just left, which is like, yeah. may, may we all make one great thing and go. <laughs> he, didn't even, he didn't even monetize the YouTube video. He's like he, the the quote in the one interview off of that was, "I don't want to sell my music." Oh boy, like that's that's the thing that really gets to. Me about it is it's like because I mean obviously we you know we're in a position and so many of our peers are in a position where we're like chasing like we want a billboard number one hit right like we want to write a song that captures the, the, the public consciousness and becomes part of the zeitgeist like that is a goal that we're working towards there's days like where we're, we're in the training montage of putting together the skill set that'll get us to that goal and then there's someone who didn't even want that and got it anyway. And I think that's fascinating. Oh, me. yeah. Well, and I, I feel like music is one of the, the few things where, that, where, I mean, other than like being a viral TikTok or whatever, right. I feel like music is like one of the, you know, one of the only mediums where that could accidentally happen. Because you don't see like a filmmaker, right. you know, spending thousands of dollars to like not have a, a hit movie. Right. You don't see sort of that level of like modesty in other mediums yeah. necessarily. Um, I guess maybe painters yeah, you know, or like, but I mean, studios cost money. I think about that uh, that song in uh, Sunday in the Park with George putting it together. Putting it together, yeah. Uh, that Barbara Streisand also covers, right? And her cover, she says, "Whenever I start to get defensive, I remember vinyl's expensive." <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the that's thing. Great. Is like, whenever you want to be like artistic or whatever, like, art isn't easy, even when you're hot. Advancing art is easy. Financing it is not. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> that's so Sondheim. I love that. I appreciate that that's... so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my, my yeah, what's, what's your new new I like just heard it today but Holly Humberstone has a song called Overkill oh, yeah you showed me that and she, she has three songs out I think she went on tour with Louis Capaldi but she's crazy good yeah, and the, the is writing nuts. is great and I feel like post Phoebe Bridgers there was a lot of people that like 
were trying to sort of fill that kind of space or, or try to like enter the room that she sort of opened that door for. But I feel like too many artists I've heard have tried too hard to just be Phoebe Bridgers. And what's so interesting is that I feel like Holly Humberstone exists in her own space, but also exists in this sort of like world as well of like more organic base. Yeah, like the like, the Claro like indie. Yeah, pop but without kind of the sort thing. of electronic yeah, element. It's, it's like very, very, it's very like band in a room yeah. feeling, which is really cool. And the writing's beautiful. Um and her voice is so good and the layers, like the vocal layers are so good. Yeah. So I'm like I'm a new fan, but I definitely am gonna be listening to that on repeat. You know that and I guess newly acquainted with Brendan Urie's cover of Into the oh, Unknown. Oh man, what a what a ripper. And we'll talk about what, that later. What a ripper. Yeah, we'll yeah, get to that. But, but that definitely, <laughs> that's definitely been on rotation for sure. My old, I mean, it came out in January, but a friend of mine showed me Dan Campbell's cover of All Too Well by Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. And I I live and die by a good pop punk cover of a, of a pop song. I'm not crazy about most of Taylor Swift's music. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Say it, it just again. It doesn't do it for me necessarily. I just don't love her voice. That's fair. It happens, you know? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's kind of like the whole thing. Yeah. But that's um, the thing. Like with Taylor Swift, at least you can be like, well, what about her writing? Because like some yeah, of her songs are There's some are really beautiful really writing really well. in, in Taylor Swift songs. And I feel like uh, what I didn't realize until hearing Dan Campbell's cover is that what I feel like Taylor Swift's songs suggest that I like miss is like the busker going in on a song. Mm. Like I miss like Yeah, your music is very sterile. It's it's very it's cl- it's clean. Yeah. But there's a mat like there's a there's an anger to that song. To that song. Yeah, that song is and I feel gnarly. like Taylor Swift's like brand of anger is like the reputation era. Like that's her being angry. But I feel like there's something to be said about like a song like All Too Well. Yeah. That's that's so bitter and so cuz it's a very accusatory song. It's like this thing was a a masterpiece before you tore it all up. Right. That's what she sings. And so, you know, Dan Campbell going in and being like, like screaming, this thing was a masterpiece before you fucked it all up. Like you, f- like you feel that and you get chills. And I, yeah, I, I feel like if she went in in the way that like Julian Baker or like Phoebe Bridgers goes in on songs, I, I would definitely have connected with it, the original more. Right. And so I'm happy to hear this kind of like pop punk cover. Love a good cover. Though I'm always here for a good pop punk cover of anything, truly. So that's my that's my old. I think we're moving on to movies. Ooh. So the first that we saw was based on Russell's suggestion, though it was on our list as well. The Five Bloods yeah. by Spike Lee. An incredible film. Great film. Really, really beautiful. Um, I loved how they used that acapella of Marvin Gaye. Yeah, that was um, really powerful. And it, it was a history lesson. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I learned things about... Uh, I, like, I didn't even... You know, and, and there's been a, a big conversation happening in America about just how much we've been failed as far as educated, like like the education system teaching us about uh, the mistreatment of Black Americans. But this really shows it, like in a very visceral way, how how unfair the Vietnam War was. Not just you know to Vietnam. Yeah, because like, we, we talk a lot talk about how about, unfair, unfair and, and fucked up Vietnam was, but like generally, but generally, but it was specifically really bad for Black people. But the ratio, like yeah. the fact that I and I forgot the exact percentage, but the fact that there was a disproportionate number of Black people on the front line in Vietnam, and you see the PTSD, and you see like you don't even realize how how recent I guess Vietnam mm-hmm. was. That's what really hit me is that like all the you know all the characters are not necessarily old people. And you just sort of see this trauma. You see this like 
this yeah. generational trauma. You see, like, yeah, I think, and it was it and was, the trauma of of a war on all the nations involved. Like, you, they ex- really explore the trauma on America, but they also explore the trauma on the Vietnamese people and the entitlement. They like they felt entitled well, not to get too far into the. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. Maybe that's your spoiler alert. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, without spoiling any anything in the movie. They they delve into the effect of the generational trauma on the Vietnamese people and, and what that drives people to do there uh, as well as uh, America and the tension there and also the tension of colonialism of like French colonialism in Vietnam like the movie like very neatly like ties together a lot of like really complex themes and with really intense be, moments and really beautiful moments too and it's like entertaining and compelling throughout like it's just a masterfully put together movie I yeah I really strongly recommend it but it's harrowing it really it, it really sits with you. I I, I yeah. feel like that there are scenes that kind of replayed in my head throughout and I, I'm happy to have learned. I mean, I, I feel like Spike Lee has always been really good about sort of having his, his films be these sort of, these lessons almost. Yeah. Yeah, especially now. It's just, it is just so fascinating how like little I, I actually really knew about, about Vietnam. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, how history is not history. Like it's, I think we, we get a certain comfort in putting history in the past. Yeah. Like history is sort of something outside of us as opposed to something that just kind of happened. But yeah, there's those clips in the beginning about like, here, here are a bunch of people in the street protesting, protesting what the American government is doing. Here's a bunch of people in the street protesting Police, racism and racism and, and, police, and police brutality. brutality and it's yeah. like, this is, you know, it's like there's direct parallels to these, these, these old school news clips that were being shown and like actual news footage from our current everyday life and like drawing those parallels is really powerful. I hate to use this as a segue, but we also saw Frozen 2, yeah. which has a shockingly similar theme. Exactly. I think I think there's something to be talked about. And I, I don't necessarily mean to sort of put filmically and you know, the five bloods, which is like a Spike Lee joint next to Disney's flagship sequel. Right. Because I feel from a corporate level, very different uh, motivations. But there is something interesting thematically about how Frozen 2 talks about generational wrongs. Yeah. And how and, and what it means to correct those wrongs and, and do right by, and, and correct the wrongs of your ancestors in a sense. Yeah, I think that's huge. Also, the music's great. The music is so good. <laughs> the music is- Into the was, unknown. Into the unknown. Into the unknown. <laughs> Thank you for doing that one with me. Yeah, um, I had to do it. <laughs> I didn't like the first Frozen movie. I didn't think it necessarily did anything for me on an emotional. Yeah, as it did. I watched it. I was like, that was a Disney movie. Yeah, I think I watched it. And probably not on a plane, but I think I watched it. Like I didn't, I didn't see it in theaters. I just like saw it to see it, and I'm like, that was Frozen. Last night we did a, a Cambellian breakdown of how in the first movie Elsa is the protagonist and Anna's the antagonist because Elsa want like she needs to change, and that change and that flaw is that she isolates herself, and Anna brings about that change by trying to get her to build a snowman, right, and eventually you know leave her ice castle. But in the second movie, Anna is the protagonist. Elsa's the antagonist. Yeah. Because Anna needs to change because she's obsessed with her sister and everybody around her's well-being and doesn't take care of herself and see, you know, what's permanent around her. And Elsa wants impermanence. She wants to venture into the unknown. Into the unknown. And so she pushes that 
change for for Anna. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's very compelling. It's slick from a Campbellian <laughs> standpoint. If there, you know, I mean, if there's any, if there's any, uh, there's anyone who knows how to throw a good Campbellian story together, it's Disney. And I, I, I know, think there's a reason Disney bought Star Wars. You know, it's like they're they, Disney. They is, love their monomyths. Disney loves their monomyths. But that's the thing. I think the thing that struck me about Frozen Two was. Like Frozen One had like a villain, like here's the person who we're supposed, and it had the classic Disney twist villain. But all, at this point, like you kind of expect a twist right. villain from Disney. You know, if there's a character who's like just a little too slick, you're like, all right, they're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna around, be yeah. right around the third act, you're gonna yeah. turn around and be like, blah blah blah. It was my evil. It, it was my evil plan all along. But like, what's really, really compelling to me about Frozen Two is that there is no like twirling mustache villain. The villain is the. Sp- Spirits of nature, which ta- we can talk about that one, and the the fact that Elsa and and Anna's parents or, or grandfather did a bad thing, and I think there's something it really. I, I think that your segue was 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 apropos. I think there's something that really struck me about a, a corporation on the level of Disney telling a story of like, hey, correcting the past. Your your ancestors did a bad thing, and it is your responsibility. Like if you have the ability to cor- to right the wrong of, of, of a bad thing that, so, you know, someone in your family might have done, like that that is that is a noble and admirable thing to do. And I think like that's a powerful message to send to children in, in a movie with like a lot of slapstick comedy and just like some fun music. I think that if you put back the layers of it, there's actually a, a, a really powerful Though, I mean, you know, t- take, take Olaf's song. Like this will all make sense when I get older. Right. Like this is, this is not necessarily... Like as specifically geared towards children, I feel as like the first movie was. Yeah, I that's think, also very true. I think in a sense they probably heard from a lot of parents like we've listened to Let It Go eighteen <laughs> times this week. Can you please make something that is like a little bit more maybe mature or whatever? And so there's yeah that song. I, and here's yeah I think the humor of like having Kristoff's uh, song be like an eighties power ballad oh, yeah. like uh, in the style of White Snake like that's not a joke for little Timmy and Susie like that's a joke for the dads. Little Timmy and Susie are yeah. those your kids? Are those, those, are, those are those are my. Children specifically. Shout out to little Timmy, and <laughs> little, little Timmy and Susie. What's the last photo that's on your camera roll? Oh, it is the last photo of my camera roll. Uh, a picture of the TV screen uh, as we watch The Floor is Lava on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I suppose I suppose of all the TV shows that we can talk about, that's that's the big one. Is we we really went in on The Floor is Lava this week. <laughs> or actually, to be super correct about it, Floor is Lava. Oh, because right. the show is. Confoundingly, not called the floor is it's lava. It's just called floor just is called lava. Floor is lava. Which oof. my last photo, um, I was biking around yesterday, and I saw one of the weirdest car accidents I think I've ever oh, right. seen. Because this guy hits a parked car, parked in like a parked car lane. Like he had to have gone out of the traffic lane of moving cars and sped into the parking lane. Right. And hit this truck with such force that, A, the back of the truck was was dripping oil. B, the truck itself was pushed forward into the back bumper of the Mercedes in front of it. Call back to my song. Right. (laughs) And C... The, the guy's car, his front bumper, flew off of his car and landed parallel, but like like next to the truck's oh, driver's seat. That's intense. And so my photo is of this three-car fuckery <laughs> and the guy who 
inexplicably managed to slam a parked car <laughs> carrying his front bumper. Oh my god! So yeah, that's my that's my last photo. I like that. That's great. <laughs> now, what uh, what's the high and low of your your week? Ooh, what is the high and low of my week? I would say the high was probably the other night when we were at the end of a uh, of a nice group hang, and our our good our dear friend Max threw the gauntlet of. We, how about we all sit down and in a couple of minutes write a poem about how we're feeling in the moment. I think that's such a nice gesture of, of, uh, of friendship and the kind of energy that I want more of in my life. And we all, uh, you know, threw on a beat and whipped out our notes app and wrote little poems and we read them to each other and cheered each other on. And I think that that's, there was just something so delightful about that moment. And it really affirmed like my sense of, of belonging in a peer group of people who have similar interests and, uh, you know, bring out the, the best qualities in me. And I hope I bring out the best qualities in them. That was a, a highlight of my week for sure. I just love that they've been really supportive of, of just like everybody's creativity, you know? And so like, you know, we mentioned that we like poetry and we, we've shared some poems. And so the, the sort of logical thing, but like try to find a group that just like does this, you know, like one in the morning, we're writing, we're writing poetry yeah. and we're sharing poetry and you're a great fucking poet. Like I it, it's, well, I'm right back you know, at you, but Hey, I, I appreciate it. But yeah, it was just a really, really cool. It was really cool. And also just how different everybody writes. Yeah. Four people in the room all given one prompt. It's so interesting to see how everybody approaches it differently. I've always been fascinated by that. It was always, you know, it was, it was essentially the same sort of vibe, but very different, very different poems. My high was, was adjacent to that. Uh, Cause that, that's definitely there. But we also, Despite being in our in our early twenties, had a very intense game of ninja. Oh yeah, uh, otherwise known as kung fu. You know, so, somewhat of an insensitive name for a playground game, but for those who don't know, it's it's a very intense kind of like you can look it up, like a very intense kind of game. And I, I didn't realize that like my elementary school experience had all of us playing on like a crazy level <laughs> yeah. until I was playing with you guys and like. I felt like Superman, like I was, you know, normal on Krypton, but like crazy over. So I was, I, I kind of, I think wrecked you guys. You kind of did. You, you, you just liked it because you, because you want to. I felt so good. Yeah. <laughs> how many, how many physical activities do you think I can like actually beat anybody at? You know, that was definitely fun. What was your low? I mean, I feel like I have an obvious low that I don't want to get into too much detail uh, on on the podcast. I think I was. Uh, this week has confronted me with uh, with some very classic uh, adult conundrums of letting go of things in your life that don't maybe don't serve you anymore and coming to terms with your past and uh, forgiving yourself for things you might have done wrong, forgiving other people for things they might have done wrong, and just acknowledging that things change and people change and uh, our, our lives go through many different phases. And uh, I'm currently in one of sadness and loss and, uh, you know, entering into uh, starkly entering into that that mindset has, has been hard on me, especially the last couple of days. But also, th- despite it being a low, I think it's also been really illuminating, as lows often tend to be. And I've even just in the little bit of digging that I've had to do in the last couple of days, I've learned a lot about myself and had a lot of really good conversations with friends and family and uh, my therapist. And, you know, I think that's all you can really hope for. I feel like from those experiences, you always learn something from that, which, you know, nobody wants to experience loss again or whatever, but like, if you're at, you know, now you know more about yourself. So, you know, as you live and you gain and you lose whatever you, you're more equipped. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm proud of you for how, how you've 
you've gone through all of it. I appreciate it. Um, What's your low? Oh, my low? Oh, boy. Well, so Wednesday, uh, you and I woke up somewhat early, uh, and I had trouble sleeping the night before because I was really nervous about it, but I was supposed to get an endoscopy, and I'd never had anesthesia before, so I was really nervous about that, and I was worried about what they would discover or anything, and I arrived there, and after waiting for an hour, I was told that uh, that the procedure, which I thought my insurance was going to cover, was actually not covered by my insurance, and I would have to pay anywhere in the ballpark of $500 to $1,000 they don't know. They just, they were like, we don't know how much this right. will cost because we could find something and we could have to send it to a lab and that could cost an additional $900. We don't know, but it's happened, but we don't know, but it's happened. Right. And, but you have to make this decision now. And also you haven't slept last night and you haven't eaten for, you know, 12 hours right. or whatever. And it was crazy to me, especially because like two days before I'd paid a pretty solid amount for my insurance <laughs> that was supposed to cover it. Right. And they said, and when I asked like why, cause what I, what I was aware of was that my insurance without having to pay out of pocket and without having to deal with deductibles or whatever would, would pay for preventative care. Right. And an endoscopy strikes me as preventative because if I notice anything in this endoscopy, I am preventing cancer or some shit, right. right? Or pre- preventing complications of, uh, of Crohn's or colitis or whatever. But turns out it's diagnostic. Right. <laughs> which strikes me as a big semantic hangup to, to, to have a financial <laughs> difference in. That's how they get you. Diagnostics are a whole nother financial side of, right. of insurance. Versus screenings. Than, than, than preventative screenings. Right. But again, I'm like, well, what if... Hypothetically, you go, you, you, you put me under, you go in, you don't find anything, and we prevented, we, 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 we screened and you didn't find anything. They said that would technically be considered preventative care. But if we do find something, it's diagnostic. So you have to pay. <laughs> and we have to, there's, they're like, most likely we will find something. Right. There's a 98% right, chance right, we will right. find something yeah, yeah. that we have to test. Right. <laughs> I'm like, well, what if you just don't? Like, what if you see it and you're like, nah? They're like, we legally can't do that because it's failure to diagnose. I'm like, but I I consent to not being diagnosed, <laughs> right? So I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> oh man, you know. And you got a question like, you know, Hippocratic oath, like, do no harm, do no harm to what? My psyche is fucked right now. Right. No, but but uh, she's like, do you want to talk to your doctor? I'm like, he's here. She's like, of course he's here. I'm like, I talked to him in a different office last time. I guess he's just around. So he he comes out and he's like. I understand the finances of this procedure uh, is troubling you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely have, have some qualms about s- suddenly realizing I have to maybe pay. I don't know how much. Right. And, and he goes, well, you know, we, we do have a, you know, an appointment where we just talk about how uh, your stomach's doing, how uh, your medication is, is, you know, working with your stomach. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm feeling okay. You know, he's like, well, I'm really happy to hear that you're feeling okay and we can figure out what works and what doesn't. But I think overall... If you don't want to do this, you don't need to do this. <laughs> I'm like, you're telling me I could have just fucking dropped a thousand dollars, something I didn't need to do. Right. That's fun. I love American healthcare. Uh, I pay for insurance. I don't understand. Yeah, why do you pay for insurance? This is, this is how it's going to end up. I like to think I'm a somewhat intelligent person, and I feel like when something doesn't make sense, it's not me. Right. Like, I want to at least be able to, like, get to the point where if something doesn't make sense, it's not 
me not understanding it. It's the fucking thing being broken. And that was my low. Right. No, that's, I get that. <laughs> I respect it. Well, thank you for coming along on that journey. Cause I feel like I, you, you clearly hear that I needed to just sort of get that. No, out yeah. Of, it, out of I, my I, I, are, you, are you good now? I felt like, I felt like it, it was cathartic. It, it, yeah. felt cathartic. It, felt, it felt, it felt good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I guess last but not least, uh, what are you looking forward to? What am I looking forward to? Ooh. You know, we had some songs coming out. I just, I, uh, worth plugging that, you know, Tendencies is out now yeah. and Balance is out. Our Transviolet Money Money remix is out. And what's nice about that remix is that we are donating half of what we earn from that remix to great causes like the ACLU um, and to NAMI, which is a mental health organization. And we have We're Fine, which took us five years to write on the horizon. It's coming out. So so there's, there's songs. But I want to know sort of more personally, like what are yeah, you personally, what are looking forward what to? What am I looking forward to? It's always a tough question in these harrowing Corona times. I'm looking forward to the 4th of July. We've got some nice low-key uh, COVID safe plans for the 4th of July uh, with our quarantine group. I'm looking forward to just switching up the pace and going. we're going on a hike tomorrow. And that's I've been wanting to go on a hike for a while and I haven't found the gumption to do it myself. So that's really all I need in this life is just the, the promise of going to see a, like a rock in a tree in, 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 in a day. <laughs> that's really... Fills me with nothing but joy. I'm excited for the 4th of July, partially because this is the first 4th of July that I'm experiencing with a Londoner. Right. <laughs> so I'm making all of the American Revolution jokes I can. Right. As, uh, as, as one should. As one does. This is the first 4th of July in like eight years that I'm not in New York for. It just We, we sort of arbitrarily picked the 4th when like all of my friends would kind of come back to our hometown and we'd, you know, see our families and spend time together. Um, I, I live like on the river, like on the Hudson River. And we would pile on my friend's roof every year and watch the fireworks over all the river towns reflected off of the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I'm sad that I'm, I can't go home and that it's been like eight months since I've, I've been back in New York to see my family. But uh, if not that, I'm really happy that we're hiking and, and being amongst friends and, yeah. and, and at least sort of celebrating friendship in the same way. I feel like I, I've wanted this day to, to, to be. Right. I'm, I think I'm also looking forward to this folk project that I'm working on with Max. Yeah. I, I have a name for it. I think finally, I'm not going to say it now because I, I, I want to sit with it a little bit more, but like the more I think about it, the more it really resonates with me and I'm writing poems and you're, you know, I mean, you're writing yeah. poems too, but like I'm, I'm like writing poems and I think I'm like actually getting close to having enough for like a, a book and potentially making sort of a companion album yeah. with like ambient that's it. stuff around it. So I, that's, that's something that like has always kind of been like a back burner project. And it's in, interesting that like I've managed to get to like writing, you know, a poem a week or a yeah. poem every two weeks. And that's been like a nice kind of discipline. So that's great. Um, I'm excited about, excited Lots about all that. To, yeah. Lots to look forward to, you know, but as always, thank you to everybody who's tuned in and listened Again, if you want to be a part of this, check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash talking lion. We will be here, you know, on Sunday talking with another artist. And we'll be here on Wednesdays talking to each other about movies, life, personal questions, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, everything in between, you know? Just just two people on a podcast. You've never heard that before. You've never heard that before. <laughs> but boy, do I do I have an outro for you. Ready, oh, fans? Yeah, lay it on me. You know, you, you've never heard this as an outro before. Well, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. <laughs> maybe I seem a bit confused. Well, maybe, but I got you pegged. Because I don't know what to do with those toss salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Sleeping Lion has left the building.
We would like to thank Alan C. for supporting Talking Lion on Patreon and Isotope.